You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Bible for Normal People. And this is a special episode. Jared and I are going to address, I don't like to say answer, but engage and converse with some really, really good questions that people are asking us via the website. Right. And if you would like to ask some of those questions and likely get ignored by us, but perhaps <laughs> have our que- have your question be uh, asked here on the podcast or, again, on Patreon, we uh, often post videos that addresses people's questions more right. often than we do here on the podcast because we have limited time, blah, blah, blah. But if you wanted to, you can go to thebiblefornormalpeople.com front slash ask dash Pete. So, ask-pete, and there's a form there. You can fill it out. People upvote, and it gives us a chance to see, you know, how many people are asking the same kind of questions, what are popular questions, and then we want to bring those to the podcast and other places. So, enough of that. Yeah, when people upvote, like, if they get a lot, we'll just gravitate towards those, right? That's right. And if they downvote, we'll just ban them. Yeah, we'll just say that's unacceptable. What a stupid person you are for asking that question. Yes. No, no questions. Actually, some questions are dumb. That's true. But not, we don't get those. But And I mean, we won't ever say that I, to you. I, I've asked dumb questions in my life. <laughs> Believe me. Ask well, dumb questions get us to yeah. better questions. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code NORMALPEOPLE. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code NORMALPEOPLE for 30% off and free shipping. microdose.com. Promo code NORMALPEOPLE. Anyway, so we have a bunch of questions here we thought we'd kick around and we'll see how far we get. You know, we we haven't planned this out. We don't have all the answers, but we thought we'd read some of these and just see where we go. Yeah. So uh, let's do that. And the first one is this. I'm curious how you come to the conclusion that God is good. That's actually not a question, but they did end that with a question mark. That's a statement. (laughs) <laughs> um, oh, no, how you come? That's I guess that's a question. Do you draw that conclusion from the Bible? Is it from the crucifixion story? Without holding the Bible up as inerrant, infallible, etc., how can we know God is loving? I think there are two questions there, actually. One is, and, and this is fine, there are two questions. They're not, they overlap a bit, but they're not the same. How do you come to the conclusion that God is good? In other words, what is it about this story or something that brings you to that conclusion? Then another question, though, is, well, how do you know? You know, if you don't have a Bible that's inerrant or infallible, et cetera, how can you know God is loving? I think those are two very mm. interesting and overlapping kinds of questions. So, Jared, answer them, and you've got three seconds. So smart. You're yeah. so smart. I am. You just pulled I, that apart. My mom always So, that. I mean, let me just see if I can re-summarize, re-summarize, if I can just <laughs> summarize for the first time what it is you're saying, that really this question, and I think it's important, the reason I'm doing this is is not just semantics, but it's different to say, how can we come to this conclusion? How can we think these things? That's very different than saying, um, how, are we, how can we know? 
mm-hmm. in some sense that that's more of a certainty question. Right. How can we know for sure? That's very different than saying, how can we come to the conclusion that? And I think it's important because I think for a lot of us, we conflate those two things as those are the same thing. Right. Right. So, do uh, you notice how I just flipped that on you? So now, how, what's the answer to that? Well, I mean, a couple things mentioned here is you draw the conclusion from the crucifixion story and things like that. And I, I have to say, I don't – it's not like I go to verses and think about God as good. I, I, I think about it very differently that, you know, if God exists in this infinite universe, I don't think God is bad. I don't like you know. I just don't see how that makes any sense. If God exists, I think almost by definition, God has to be good. Now, whatever good means that that you know, I'm not going to try to nail like this. And this is exactly how God is good. But God is trustworthy. God is well. But that's you know, that's tricky because you know, with how I would have grown up is basically more in. Yeah, I won't name that tradition, but it, the tradition that shall be not be named. <laughs> but when for me growing up, it was easy to say God was good. But what got tricky was defining what good meant. So right. basically, if God says to bash the head of your enemy's kids on the, their heads on the rocks, right. we don't know how, but somehow that's good. Mm-hmm. So doing that is good. And so basically, all we're doing is sort of rubber stamping whatever God does mm-hmm. is what we mean by good. Right. But then we also say the same teachers in my tradition would say, but that doesn't mean we can do those things too. Mm-hmm. At which point I would say, well, what's the point of calling it good? That's yeah. kind of a meaningless Can't do it. statement. Right. So I do think it's important to say, you know, not just come to, to, to the conclusion that God is good, but also what do we put in that box yeah. of what good is? And, and, and do we put into that box like every Bible story? Well, that runs right. into trouble, right? Yeah, and that gets us into that second part of the question. You know, I don't, I don't think that we should – I don't think the Bible gives us the uh, permission to kill people and take their land, for example, even though you've got stories like that in the Bible. I don't think that we should be finding our enemies and slaying them or we should be returning violence with more violence. But the reason I say that is because it's it's not a verse approach, but it's – a big picture story of the Bible approach. So, I mean, and that's how I read the Bible. I, I, I read it as sort of moving along trajectories and and critiquing even parts of the Bible based on that larger trajectory, that larger story. And I don't think, you know, Jared, if you agree with that too, I don't think like we're alone in that. This is This is not an uncommon thing. And it's part of the struggle throughout Christian history of this Bible that says morally questionable things and and God can't possibly like be concerned with some of the things God seems to be concerned with in the Bible and and part of I mean and again for me this is just an important thing for me how do I come to these conclusions part of it is my modern context with a universe that is infinite I I, I harp on that a lot but I mean it it's like what kind of a God are we – is this a God really invested in tribal conflicts, for example? And is that where we get our notions of what God is like? Or is there something about the gospel and as as this questioner asked, the crucifixion story, there's something about that that is so counterintuitive that turns so much on its head. It is very attractive to me and I would look at that and say, I will conclude from that that God is good. Or it's at least consistent with my notions that God is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it does get tricky for me when I think about, I would say in some, 
in some senses, I get this conclusion from the Bible. And then there are other senses in which I would not get that conclusion from the Bible. So, I guess, right. like, if you're reading the Bible in our culture, and I think that's an important qualifier in our mm-hmm. culture today, there are places where you would say that what God is doing there doesn't seem to be good. So, we have a few choices we can make at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think that's it's important that we, I think we, we all make these we do we draw these conclusions and a lot of times kind of going back to Richard Rohr in his episode on the podcast we draw them usually based on this idea of experience and yeah. how we've experienced life and what we've been taught about what's good and bad and right mm-hmm. and wrong and uh, and so i think that's going to be we have to talk about experience mm-hmm. in this right and that that brings us then really to that second part of the question how can you know how can you be certain that god is loving and I can't in, in, in that intellectual sense. I can't say, here's how I'm certain. And I don't think it makes a difference then whether you have a Bible that's inerrant and infallible. Because if you have a Bible that's inerrant and infallible, you've got some pretty serious moral questions to deal with. And like Jared, you were saying before that, you know, God does X, Y, and Z, and that's good because God does it. Well, what about us then, right? It, it doesn't, you know, treating those as being th- those kinds of stories in the Bible as giving definitive knowledge of what God is like, that doesn't solve the problem that actually raises it. This is why people stop being inerrantists or infallibilists of the Bible and they look at it differently. They look at it from you know, the point of view of an ancient world, how would they have talked about God at that time? In other words, it's, it's you know, back to Roar, it's, it's their experience too that affected how they articulated what God is like. And we do the same thing too. Well, how can you be sure that you're right? I'm not sure that I'm right. How can I possibly be sure that I'm right talking about the infinite creator in an infinite cosmos? I'm doing my best and I have to trust, you know, to use the Christian language which I embraced, the spirit of God working in us and in the world, and we're trying our best, and I will act as if God is loving without being able to give a, you know, a formula for how I know that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. Well, and not to get too abstract, I'm about to get too abstract. <laughs> you always know someone's about to do it when they say not to do it. Uh, but this goes, this is an ancient problem, and I, I, I think it's important that we say that. This is not... This is not a, a recent thing that we're we're talking about here, and I, I go all the way back to, you know, my training in philosophy. There's this thing called Euthyphro's dilemma, mm. and basically Plato, not even talking about kind of the Christian, not even talking about the Christian God, but just the idea of God, this this absolute God out there, and makes this case in this dialogue with a guy named Euthyphro: is the is it good? Whatever we want to call good, is that good? Because God has called it good. Or does God call it good because it's good in its essence? Mm-hmm. And the, the, it sounds abstract. That is abstract. But the reason it's important is because you really come down to two conclusions. Does God call anything that God wants to call it good, and that's what makes it good? So, if God says uh, murdering babies is good, it is good by definition because whatever God says it is, that's what it is. The other problem, if you don't say that, is then there's this thing outside of God called good that's even maybe better or bigger than God that sort of God has to obey, this universal sense of goodness. And so, we, we it's, it's called a dilemma because it's <laughs> right. a dilemma. Here it we is. are like, 
a few thousand years later, we still haven't really solved this problem. Mm -hmm. Either we have an arbitrary God who can call things good however God wants to, or God seems to be serving this universal thing called goodness. And we don't really have a good answer to that. But I think for me, I moved, my tradition growing up would have been in that first camp. Whatever God says is good is good. If God says murdering kids is good, well, I guess it's good. To leading with experience, which is saying we all experience this thing called goodness. And I think we're trying to figure what what that is. Mm -hmm. And whatever God's up to, we're going to say it's part of that thing. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that, frankly, that idea, though, of goodness changes over culture, which is what makes this whole thing kind of messy. Maybe not in its essence, but I think in how it plays out in mm-hmm. culture and society. Um, we would have called things like uh, the women's women's place in the household and in culture and society. It would have been good and right mm-hmm. 2,000 years ago for a certain place because it was orderly and it was designed by the gods and this is how it was meant to be and it creates order and not chaos. And now we would say that's not good. Now, mm-hmm. now you know, this more egalitarian equality sense of society is good. So, anyway, that's my abstract problem of this. Yeah, well, we question. always have to be careful of the problem that we as human beings, I think, can't escape, and that is mixing together what God is and our own perceptions of that. Right. And I'm very comforted by the fact that the Bible itself actually, you see that struggle within the Bible because you have that diversity in the Bible about you know, what does it mean to be an enemy of God? How do you treat enemies? And that the Old Testament and the New, you know, vis-a-vis the Old, they we get different impressions about that. And I, I mean, I like I like that. So it sort of it it redu- how do I put this? It doesn't reduce the Bible, but it 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 gives us a, a, a more workable impression of how the Bible works, not as you know an infallible text that's inerrant will give us this information and we just ha- accept it. But there is this inner dialogue and tension within the Bible. I think, you know, understanding what the, whether what it means for God to be loving is part of the task of theology and the part of the task of just living. It's not something that's going to come quickly from a book. And what I like about the this question that's asked here, I mean, we're sounding critical of it, but it's, I think it's a very, very good question because it brings us into those things that Jared and I talk about a lot, like, okay, well, what is the Bible and, and what do you do with it with a question like this? What does it mean to say God is good? Well, I think that's a great segue into the second question. So, ah, maybe yes. I'll read that. Okay. There's a good setup here. So, over the course of human history, so many people have put out there their approach to interpreting the Bible, living for God, following Jesus, kind of the religious way of life. So many teachings, so many books, so many people with opinions. How can we know which approach is right? Yeah, that's a common question. And the answer is... We can't. We can't. Oh, no. Right. Next you guys, question. you're just confusing us. No, it's not. Because, you know, I get the question, right? We, we get it. We, I wonder that, too. Like, am I right? Am I more right than all those other people out there? And, But the thing is that we can't know it because, I mean, to state the obvious, we're dealing with God here. And we have to keep – I have to keep remembering that. We're not dealing with something that – like some sort of an object that we can manipulate and turn around and analyze and assess. Okay, now I've controlled it. And I think part of the message of the Bible is these 
sort of upheavals, these tectonic shifts that happen in, in stories in the Bible. And again, as Christians, very much so in the New Testament, the, these tectonic shifts, these big movements, these big shifts, these unexpected things that God is doing is just teaching us that God's always ahead of us, not sort of behind us, sort of in the pages of a book. And so, we, we can't know, but we can move towards greater knowledge, I guess. I don't mind saying that, like greater knowledge of God, greater understanding, greater communion, greater experience with God. And the fact that there are, as the questioner says, absolutely right, there are so many people who have lived, who've approached interpreting the Bible and living for God and following Jesus in so many different ways, so many teachings, so many books, so many people with opinions. I'm not sure the point of that is to narrow it down to well, here's the one that's more right than others. I mean, this, you know, Jared and I are both part of traditions that thought that way. You know, we're basically, we're right. We're, you, you can draw a line from Moses to Jesus to John Calvin, et cetera, and there you have the, the, the sort of the purity of the church, but everybody thinks that. And maybe this diversity in the history of Christian thinking, not just in the history of it, but just in the world today, people sitting in your church if you go to church, you know, there's so much diversity in thinking. And what if that reflects something of the nature of God, too? It's not like, okay, guys, <clears throat> here's a Bible, here's a story, figure out the one way to understand this, and we'll see which one gets it right at the end. Maybe it's something about the nature of God and the character of God that leads human beings to come at this question of what it means to be Christian and all this from so many different angles. Yeah, I think of a, a few things. One is uh, Richard Rohr, who says... Who? Uh, Richard Rohr. Never, never heard of the guy. Yeah, well, yeah. he's, uh, you know, I found him tucked away in a used bookstore somewhere <laughs> a long time ago. But he says, you know, rather than thinking about God as not knowable, what if we talked about God as limitlessly knowable? Mm-hmm. And, and so, I think that's an important thing, too, because I think of it as uh, when we're trying to figure out what's the right way of doing it. So, I think of this absurd picture of you know, we're really thirsty, we're in this big lake, and we're trying to figure out sort of uh, how to take a drink. And so, we get the cup and we put some water in it, and we then we decide that that cup is like the only uh, the only thing that can quench our thirst. It's like, well, it is necessary. I needed to get a cup for myself, uh, but then to draw the conclusion that only this is actually water is seems a little bit absurd. And so, I like the idea of this. It's limitlessly knowable. There's lots of ways in which we can approach how we know things about God. Um, and that also makes me think of a book by Brian McLaren that's called, you know, We Make the Road by Walking. So, somehow, I think we've, even these questions, these first few questions, which again are good questions, but they're both knowledge-based questions. And I think there's a privileging, there's an emphasis on knowing in our culture that I think the Bible doesn't share and that I would say, frankly, I, I'm just getting tired of <laughs> because it's it's like it's this disembodied idea that somehow what goes in our minds is the most important thing about our relationship to God or even to each other that I think we need to move beyond and start talking about how do we make the road by walking. It's sort of when do we stop lifting the weights and be, because we're trying to get to that perfect build and realize that this whole time we've been building muscle and we're getting stronger and that maybe the process is the point. Mm-hmm. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? 
They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in, and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Well, how would you respond, Jared, to what you know we've both heard a lot of times is that well, that's nice, but that sounds awfully subjective, and it's not going to help you be certain about, right? I mean, I know it's it's very circular, but it's you know, mm-hmm. that's not helping me because I'm not really sure why being Christian makes any difference and whether I should just switch to something else. And it's it's a very subjective approach to the Christian faith and not objective. Once you, I mean, these two questions hang together, like you said. Once you take away a rule book Bible that tells you this is it, you know, mm-hmm. okay, even though the contradictions and tensions that this is it, this, you just follow this and that's all there is to it. That's that, that suggests some objectivity to faith. And, and this is very subjective. Right. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, the challenge is we are always and already both of those things, hmm. right? We're human beings in a world with objects and facts. And so we have to navigate that in some sense objectively it's when we think that that's all there is to it that uh, i think we get into trouble so we're also subjective human beings like we we navigate life within our subjectivity all the time and that's important it guides us in a lot of ways how i feel about things my subjective experiences how i think about um you know how i think about concepts that aren't out in the material world are all part of who we are mm-hmm. so i think it's not so much 
It's that when we've exclusively talked so much about facts and objectivity, that it feels really scary now to even allow anything else as part of the mix. Hi, everybody. My name is Dorsey Marshall. I'm from southern New Jersey, and I'm part of the producers group here at The Bible for Normal People. One of the things I find so meaningful about this podcast is the diversity of guests, from serious Bible scholars to hip-hop artists, who offer so many helpful ways to think about what the Bible is and how to approach it. If you've gotten something from this free podcast, I want to take a moment to mention how you can support Pete and Jared in this important work. The podcast is brought to you by supporters on the Patreon platform. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be part of the group that brings this podcast to normal people everywhere. As a gift for your support, we have book studies, chat groups, and lots of videos from Pete and Jared. So check it out at patreon.com backslash the Bible for normal people. If you aren't able to support the show financially, go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. That can go a long way to help others find us. One group in particular we want to thank is our producers group, who give feedback to Pete and Jared, encourage them for the many ways they get it right, and offer suggestions for ways to make the show better. I'd like to mention Kristen Backman, Caleb Needens, Lelia Fry, Jay Burke, Eric Latas, David Krober, Michelle Casey, and Marilyn Johnson. The Bible for Normal People couldn't happen without you. Thank you. Now back to the podcast. Subjectivity is what allows us to sort of grow and change because, you know, I don't think the same way that I did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So, I mean, it's – and that's because I am a person who is experiencing life and growing and changing. And you could say, well, you're just coming closer to objectivity. You keep growing and you're, you're correcting these mistakes. You're getting really objective. I'm just saying at my age right now, I'm like, this is no way I'm getting closer to objectivity. It's more like I'm becoming – and I have become just more and more – accepting and just resting in the subjectivity of this. And to think that, like, God cannot operate within our subjective humanity, I would say, I would even go, so that's sort of like almost like a Christian heresy, like God doesn't actually adopt humanity and enter into our experience. Mm-hmm. It's like God can't – no, we have to become robots or – Well, yeah, it's, it's God know. trying to pull us out of our subjectivity as though subjectivity is sin, mm-hmm. and it would be – like, the goal is to all be robots. Right. Which doesn't seem all that attractive or biblical to me. Mm-hmm. It does make life messy and subjective. Right. But I don't, I don't, no, it doesn't make it I subjective. I was going to say, it doesn't it make it. It just is it. It just, <laughs> it it, it just acknowledges it. And I, I do think that's, that's a problem people have. And I understand why, especially if they were raised a certain way to think about the Christian faith. But it's, it is Christianity participates in those vicissitudes of life, and it has been doing so since the New Testament period. Mm -hmm. And you can read that in the pages of the New Testament itself. It's not objective knowledge that's peddling. It's it's Paul constantly contextualizing the message in different places, and it's the Gospels contextualizing Jesus in different communities, and and they don't always agree. Mm-hmm. That's the beginning of our movement. I mean, do you think it's a big you – know, our job is like, okay, let's clear up all this mess. Let's get it all lined up. Let's make this into a pamphlet, like a trifold thing, and that's, that's all there is to it. It's just – that's – you know, I think I think part of trusting God for people, modern people today, is trusting God in the subjectivity and in the ambiguity mm-hmm. of life and, and that God can handle it and God's not going to get you because you're acknowledging that. 
Well, and what we were hoping for in Christianity, what we were sold, I think, over the last 300 years is a Christianity that can overcome our humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an absurd request to make of anything. Yeah. And it's just, it's just not going to happen. What we're railing against is we're railing what we don't. What, you know, this, we, we get people who push back on kind of what we talk about because people like the certainty. Mm-hmm. But what they're holding up is an illusion. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we're holding up something that can't be obtained. So, I'm not sure what the good is in yeah. trying to kind of keep the man behind the curtain covered up. Well, why do you say the last 300 years has to do with science and philosophy? And yeah, just like in the modern so, yeah. period because mm-hmm. all of a sudden – Descartes and these group of thinkers and philosophers from the Renaissance and then into the Enlightenment started thinking more and more. They got excited about this idea that we can come to absolute certain knowledge. We can have a grounding Mm -hmm. that's incontrovertible and we can build incontrovertible truths on top of that Mm -hmm. and get to some sort of certainty. That was the whole modern project. Mm -hmm. And they were super excited about it for a few generations until they realized it wasn't going to happen. And then somehow Christianity wanted to be in on it. Right. And at some point, Christianity adopted that. I feel like most of the thinkers of that time moved on fairly quickly to saying, oh, we can't do that. But Christianity never got that memo. Mm-hmm. And so, certain, certain, certain kinds strands of, yeah, has then just kind right. of been peddling this thing that was never viable. It just right. wasn't a viable project. Right. And that's, I think, we we labor under that unholy alliance of the eternal creator and our ability to to actually control things and achieve relative objective knowledge i mean we do have yeah that's the challenge what we can call let's let's say we have objective knowledge we know how far the moon is from the earth mm-hmm. there there are so many things that modernity has brought us that are just right. wonderful and amazing and if you look at the, from the eyes of faith, you say, what an amazing universe we live in, you know? And all these things that I don't even – quantum mechanics – I don't understand half that stuff, but I'm fascinated by it. It's like, what a what an unbelievable universe we live in that scientists have figured out. But when you put God into that, it's – again, I, I think just my experience has taught me that's really, really, really dangerous and it gets nowhere. And also makes God into, again, an object that we study which is a hazard, right, mm-hmm. Jared, of going to seminary and things mm-hmm. like that. Not necessarily so, but it can be. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, the, but the irony is I think we have a lot to learn from our scientist friends because the way they came to more and more uh, – the way they came to their truths more and more certainly, if you can put it that way, is by not holding on to what they thought they knew. Right. It was through ignorance. It was through proving everyone else wrong over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Every theory they had about how the world works, they were there is a process, the scientific process, mm-hmm. and they were committed to the process, not to the conclusions. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, they weren't, oh, we have it now. Now, we're, we're settled and we feel secure and we're in control of this. No, because then that got overturned and then that got overturned and mm-hmm. that's how they came to what we now know as sort of scientific knowledge. Right. And that was applied to the Bible, you know, that kind of thinking and what that did. And and, and sometimes, it, you know, it, big mistakes have been made in the history of biblical scholarship, but it it looked at it critically. And so, what that has done for a lot of Christians over the past couple hundred years, it either makes them reject sort of science and that kind of mm-hmm. thinking or – it makes them um, ignore what's going on, or for some people, it actually drives them to a different kind of faith where 
my goodness, clearly, you know, we don't drive this certainty from this text. You know, the, the modern world we live in is ironically driving us into a more immediate experience of God rather than that always being filtered through our heads. You mm-hmm. know, that's a dangerous place to be. It really is because our heads do all sorts of things. You know, what people say, I mean, it was, this was either uh, Homer Simpson or Rousseau, I, depending on what website you go to. But actually, it might have been Mark Twain, but um, – you know, for, forgive the sexist language, but God created man in his own image. And like gentlemen, we've been returning the favor ever since, right? right? We're always creating God in our image. And we do do that, right? But we just got to be aware of the fact that we're sort of drawing God into our own way of thinking. And maybe God's just way, way, way beyond that. And we're all trying to access God in 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 ways that don't do violence to our basic humanity and experience, mm-hmm. right? And, and I, don't, I don't think God – I might believe that God doesn't expect anything else of us. Right. Well, it reminds me of what John <clears throat> Calvin said, that our hearts are idol factories, mm-hmm. that we're constantly creating idols. That's what I kind of think of when we create God in our image. It's right. an idol. It's, right. it's a picture right. that is tainted by my own subjectivity. Mm-hmm. And to deny that doesn't actually do us any favors. It mm-hmm. just makes it more dangerous. Right. So – you. You can create God in your own image as long as you're, you realize you're doing that very subjectively and it's always open to correction. It's when we think that our subjective ideations about God are actually objective, like absolutely right. true and certain. Well, that's when people start killing each other because, you know, they think about God Well, a because bit it's interesting the sleight of hand that happens because God moves from being certain and objective and absolute to me being certain and absolute. Right. And that's, the, that's where it gets dangerous. And that's tempting for everybody, I think. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to like be in like in a weird church or denomination or a pastor. That's all of us are subject to that. And and in a way, confessing our sub- subjectivity is a real confession of faith at that point. Mm-hmm. That I'm actually laying down my ego and I don't claim to know this stuff. Yeah, it's a posture. Well, how can you be certain? I just told you you can't be certain, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, are you certain about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, don't even try that one with me. I've had a dollar for every time somebody said I know. All right. Well, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this question because yes. I think this, t- this is a great roundup question. Our last question okay. for this is, what's your perspective on Christianity in your daily life? I was always taught a true Christian would spend hours a day in prayer, bring every conversation back to God. So, what is more necessary from from our perspective? Oh, yeah, from our perspective, which is not necessarily what the questioner is. Yeah, it assuming says. The, here, yeah, so, the yeah. question says a progressive perspective. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I know. What, yeah, I know what they mean. Though, right. you know, I, I like Brian McLaren's terminology where he doesn't use progressive or traditional I, I'm trying to think what language he uses instead of instead of progressive he says creative and instead of like traditional he says uh, I think preservationist mm-hmm. and he means those as neutral terms N- not to get off topic here but right. every every articulation of Christianity that you need both You're, you right. are trying to preserve something because this is an ancient tradition mm-hmm. but you also realize the need to be creative in the world that you live in yeah I think we right. use the term I like the term because it rhymes but preservation and innovation. Okay. So you're always yeah. preserving something. You're always innovating, and that's weird. as long as they're not pitted against each other as absolute uh, right. you know, enemies or something. Because they're not. Right. You know, you have to have both. It's both and. Yeah. But anyway, okay. So, what's your perspective on Christianity in your daily life? Uh, okay, I'm working that out. You know, because I don't know if I was ever really taught to think about that 
very deliberately. I was just given a bunch of shoulds, some of which are listed here, spend hours a day in, in prayer. Well, it depends on what you mean by prayer. Does it mean sitting down with your eyes closed and your hands folded? It doesn't mean just, you know, going through your day and maybe stopping quietly every once in a while and not reacting to something that's happening. You know, is that is that for I, th- I think it is. Or bringing every conversation back to God. I definitely understand what that means. Boy, do I get that. But what if nothing ever has to be brought back to God because God is everywhere and all around us? Like, and it's my job to, you know, to, to sort of baptize everything that happens. You know, the Yankees beat Tampa Bay today, 12 to 1. It was an amazing game. I, lo- I had a great time watching it. I don't really know if I'm going to bring that conversation back to God, other than God willed it or some stupid thing like that. You know, I'm, not to make light of it, but, you know, I'm not sure if the, you know, it's a sign of Christian maturity that we, that we conceive of prayer that way, mm-hmm. you know, bringing it back to God as if God was missing somehow. Right. You know? Rather than that, maybe having this more expansive view of God where mm-hmm. it's not necessary to bring that, bring it back. Right. And, and if you look at the Bible, I think there's something to be said for God being localized in some sense. And then as we move mm-hmm. through the Bible, God becomes, as, as Rohr says, it's this universal Christ that God is in all. And, uh, and there, there's something important to the practicality then of how we practice our faith. Because for me, Getting realizing that maybe uh, practicing Christianity in my daily life didn't always have to deal with my brain because mm-hmm. that's right. how it was for me. It was right. you read, you pray, you study, you ponder, you reflect. It's all very heady stuff. And then you apply, right? If you get around to it, if you get a yeah, yeah and it's like <laughs> applying became so cheap. It became like a cheap knockoff at the end of all of this thinking. Very mechanical and task-oriented right. and things like that. Yeah, so, so yeah. I mean, for me, it's become way more um, participatory mm-hmm. and way more uh, engaging in relationships. So, being able okay. to – which took a long time for me not to feel guilty about that. Like, oh, so being a good friend is how I can be a Christian in my daily life. Mm-hmm. There's no added remainder. There's not – being a good friend and then trying to get them to convert to Jesus and then having them talk about God and then Mm -hmm. reading a Bible story with them. That wasn't part of it. Especially when all that is overlaid with a a subculture kind of like what all that even means. Right. Because the assumption there is that a a particular way of thinking of the Christian faith – and again, I'm not not trying to take pot shots here, but just for, you know, ease of communication here – you know, a standard sort of evangelical conservative way of thinking about this stuff. Like you talk to people about Jesus, they accept Jesus, they go to heaven, you know, when they die, they won't go to hell. That's that's already a construction of Christianity that I'm going to say most of the history of the church would know what to do with. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe in the modern reactions to the Enlightenment, like we were talking about before, you start thinking differently about this stuff. But I mean, I think the gospel's always meant much more than those things. So already there, you know, we're just imposing something onto it. Yeah. yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
And, and I, you know, for me, I would say I, I actually attend a Mennonite church now, and that's been extremely helpful because um, it's very, very community oriented. You so, drive buggies? Drive, no, we don't do drive buggies. Oh, that's Amish. That's, that's old school. Oh, that's other kinds we of We haven't Am- driven Mennonites. buggies for at least 20 years. <laughs> no. um, so, you know, things like uh, justice and reconciliation, peacemaking, like seeing that was such a foreign thing to me. I, I mean, I was, frankly, I, I started attending a Mennonite church because I was just so curious about these people who practiced their faith through things like peace and justice. Like, oh, but where is where I kept wanting to say kind of quote where is Jesus in this where is right. Jesus <laughs> and it's like no Jesus is in the peacemaking and in the justice it is in the no. it is in the ninety five year old woman with the head covering at the drone strike protest like mm-hmm. that is where Jesus is oh mm-hmm. wait like it just short circuited mm-hmm. my brain right. until over time I started thinking oh so practicing our faith like maybe this is what the Bible is pointing to when it talks about right. how we walk in love and how we walk yeah. in truth. So, how comprehensive is our gospel? What, how mm. much of life does it encompass? Right. And that is, I mean, I, I mean, as I'm saying that, I do remember how I might have reacted to that in my mid twenties, for example. I would have said, "Yeah, you got bad theology." But again, as I get older, it's different, and it's not like deciding to become progressive. It's just life experiences leading in certain ways. And, you know, what, you know, Jared has just said a lot about what it means to him. And I would have different things to say, which is sort of the point in all right. this is that there's no sort of, there's no necessary way of this whatever progressive or innovative, uh, again, well, can, innovative can be insulting. To maybe people, even you know, saying right? two, two questions is for me, it was moving from how should we to how might we. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not the shaming, right, wrong, dualistic, how should we, as though there's a right way and a wrong way necessarily. Yeah. It's more, how might we? What are the possibilities here that I haven't yet considered about what it means to live Recognizing as a your limitations as a person. And, okay. Yeah. yeah. How might we? Right. Um, which is freeing up. It's saying, yeah, inviting you to practice Christianity in ways that are different from mine mm-hmm. that I can actually learn from and celebrate. Mm-hmm. Kind of that diversity of practice. And did you say there were two things, or was it? Just well, just the two. The okay, two would be two moving yeah, from. Right, right. Moving, okay. Yeah, those two is right. is moving from a how should we to how might we language. Yeah, I don't know. And f- I mean, for me, I mean, I guess I I resonate with that. But I just I'm thinking of recent experiences, like, um, wanting to live the day well, right? And what does that mean for me? And I've really had to think about that a- as an expression of Christian faith, and. For example, you know, I, for a long time, I would, in the morning, get a cup of coffee and read the Bible for half an hour. Now, I actually happen to be doing that right now, but I don't really feel an obligation to it. I just feel like it. <laughs> you know, I know that you're not disciplined. Actually, you do that every morning, too. So, um, And I get up pretty early. But sometimes, like, you know, I, I've learned sometimes to just sit there on a couch when the sun hasn't come up yet. And just be, and and not have any obligations. Not like, okay, I'm going to have words come out of my mouth now, or use an app that has a liturgy where I don't have to make words up because that's the. See, for me, the big problem is like I got to get away from my words and my head. That's all I do, and I I love them so much. I love my head. I love my words. I'm such an amazing person. I use the best words anyway. So okay, um, better words than anybody else. So you know. I <laughs> 
like a Jared's. Jared, get up off the floor. Oh, Wasn't man. that funny? Oh, um, but you know what I mean? It's just for, it's different for everybody. Like for me, I, I've moved into a more liturgical environment over the past 10 years because I have had to make changes that I needed to make. Right. And that may, for some people, be progressive. And for other people, it might be, well, welcome to normal Christianity. I mean, it's, just, it's not progressive for some. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think this is relative, and that's okay. And I'm not judging myself by how – by some standard of normalcy or something because, again, I have to believe that God is big and not within my control. And I can't manipulate God by doing the right things and, you know, by saying the right words and having the right – Routines because that gets very mechanical too, and 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 trying to listen to again that I, I hope you guys will hear this the right way, but listening to that inner voice, which I'd like to think is the presence of God, sort of speaking to me, and sometimes it's just you gotta just relax a little. Mm. <laughs> you don't have to perform all. Well, the time. you use the phrase, yeah. "How might I live well today?" Mm. and that's a suspiciously wisdom-sounding mm. question. Okay. Which I think is, I think it's a good, I think it's a good question, mm-hmm. you know, how might I live well today? But I think it thrusts us back into that earlier conversation of how might I live is a very subjective question. Yeah. The answer to that question may be very different for me than it is for you. Mm-hmm. And of all people, you know, Friedrich Nietzsche makes this point where he says, it's interesting to me that we talk about how everybody's body is built differently. And so we need different nutrition. We mm-hmm. need to eat, you know, some people need more protein, some people need more breads. And we're learning, I think, through all these fad diets and other things that he was kind of right, like, oh, it's, what works for you doesn't work for me when mm-hmm. it comes to food. And what, and he kind of makes the point, well, spiritually, he would say, uh, when it comes to morally, maybe that's true morally too. Mm-hmm. Maybe how you answer how might you live well today is different than how I live well today. Mm-hmm. And of course, we pretty much excommunicated Nietzsche for saying that kind of thing. But I think coming full circle, that subjectivity is so important that do we believe maybe that that small, still voice that God is speaking to you as an individual or as a community is Mm. saying something different than us? And can we trust that? And and can we handle a God who can do that? Right. (laughs) Again, it's not just... Forgive me for harping on the same thing, but this is why... A Bible that is theologically diverse is a gift to the church. But how do you know if you're – okay, I know that. That's the question that comes up. I get it. But maybe that's the wrong question to be asking. You know, uh, mm-hmm. are there parameters within which Christianity operates? Yeah. Do I care to define them? Not really. Not now. I mean, maybe one right. day. I just don't want to do that. But the thing is that I know that I see people in the Bible reacting differently and thinking differently and articulating God differently depending on circumstances, not Mm -hmm. haphazard, but it's more like it's growth, it's change. And that's not just from Old Testament to New Testament. It's within the old and it's within the new. There's diversity in uh, in every part of of the the Christian uh, scriptures. And I, I just come to say thank you. Thank you for not giving us a, you know, a, a book that even tries to cohere in that way, that logical sort of analytical way, because it doesn't. And that's actually, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. At least it is for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we have, I mean, we've thoroughly answered. We've answered three questions of the universe. Yeah. And they were probably the most important questions that you could ask. Only 47 trillion to go. Yeah. 
in it, all in 40 minutes. Pretty I mean, good. yeah, and the, I think we've nailed it. I don't think there should be any questions Never anymore about knowing the Bible or any of that stuff. We've we'll just delete them from ask done. slash p. Excellent. It's not slash. Dash. It's dash. P, whatever. So if you would like to answer, ask some questions for us that we will uh, perhaps answer or perhaps not, go to uh, thebiblefornormalpeople.com front slash ask dash Pete. And that's not, don't spell out dash. That's actually the symbol dash. Sure, that's really condescending. Ask dash Pete. Just because I wouldn't know, that doesn't mean anybody else would. <laughs> well, I'm looking at you, so I'm trying to explain it at your level here. Uh, yeah, so ask dash Pete. Ask the questions. We love to be able to, we, we really appreciate questions. I think we probably appreciate questions more than more than answers because it gets us to think about yeah. things we haven't thought about before. Absolutely, yep. So, all right, we'll, we'll see you next time where it won't be just me and Pete. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. It'll be somebody. All right, folks. Thanks. See ya.